KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is The Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Sabrina Boyd Serka and Brian Seltzer. It's Tuesday, January 18th, 2022, the day after Martin Luther King Day. Now, MLK Day may have passed, but the fight for civil rights and social justice continues on. And in fact, today is the National Day of Racial Healing. And that highlights the fact that healing is an essential part of this path toward racial equity. Healing is such a huge piece of this, Jay, especially after the trauma that people of color have experienced, especially over the past couple of years, but really over all of history. I think that's super important. We're going to learn about that today. And also, it is a a symbol that MLK Day has passed, but we are still doing things. We are still taking action. This can't be a one day a year effort. We've got to keep fighting. I think two parts of the essence of Martin Luther King. One, obviously, action. And I feel like Martin Luther King Jr. Day really captures that spirit of serving, going out and doing things. But we also know that through just how eloquent and thoughtful Martin Luther King Jr. was, he spoke about tough issues. And I think there's a deeper understanding that comes through conversation. And I think that's where it starts. And to me, that's one of the great things about this National Day of Racial Healing that hopefully takes off. I think this is really the spirit and at the essence of how we as a country can truly come together that much more. And we'll talk more about that today when we welcome on two-thirds of the new KWW show, Bridging Philly, our community impact reporter, Raquel Williams, as well as Philly Rising's Antoinette Lee. We will have both of them join us to talk about this today. But first, let's get a rundown of today's headlines. And we start the show, we were recording just past lunchtime on this Tuesday afternoon, and we get breaking news coming across from KYW News Radio's Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melward as the grand jury in the shooting of eight-year-old Fontability, who was shot back at the end of August during a shootout following a high school football game. They have decided to charge three Sharon Hill police officers in connection with her death. This is something that's been called on for a while throughout this whole case. So we're getting some development here. Breaking news, you can obviously find it on our website, kywnewsradio.com. We're going to get deeper into, there's so much to talk about in how this shooting happened and how the case developed. We're going to have to get Jim Melwert on on a future episode to kind of go into details, but this is big news today. There have been a lot of twists and turns. We've been talking about it since the end of August, which is when the shooting happened outside a football game. Then initial charges came down. They charged the two original people who were involved in the shooting. That took place outside the football game. Then the police got involved and shots were fired in response. But 10 counts each of recklessly endangering another person for the three police officers who were charged with voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, and again, those 10 counts each of recklessly endangering another person. So there have been marches in Sharon Hill in recent months to keep this story in the news. The grand jury has taken some time, but hopefully this begins to, it'll never replace a life by any stretch. I know that sounds so like sappy and cliched, but if this starts to help people feel like there has been justice served or some parts of this story, uh, there's some closure there. Um, I think this was a big development today. We unfortunately have to almost transition from one tragedy to another because tomorrow marks two weeks since that tragic row home fire in Fairmount. And on Martin Luther King Day yesterday, the victims, all 12 of them, including nine children, were laid to rest. Now, KYW's John McDevitt was 
at the Leacora Center at Temple University where this service was held. And here's what it sounded like. Twelve white coffins with the pictures of each victim were assembled in front of the stage at the Leacora Center. Reverend Dr. Alan E. Waller, the senior pastor of the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church of Philadelphia, led the service. Come on, let the family know they are not alone. Let the devil know he did not win. Let the city know that we will rise. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Several family members, including Sally Thomas, shared memories. The hurt is deep, but it will subside. And I say to each and everybody in here, if you got some I'm sorry to say, say it. If you got some forgiveness to do, forgive. Don't let no time pass away when you got the opportunity to say, I love you. Because we do not know. We don't know. <sighs> that, that's, that's tough to listen to, to be honest. But it's, you don't know. And of all the difficult stories that we're a part of, this one, I don't know why, just hits a little bit different for me and a lot of us, too. You know, I'm not particularly religious, but one thing I really like about the Baptist church is the way ceremonies and everything kind of feels like a celebration of life, even when you're mourning. And it really, I mean, that what we just heard from the pastor there, it really like draws out it feels like a an emotional outlet you know i feel like if you went to that ceremony you really could just let the emotions pour out and then walk away feeling we're really honoring these children these people's lives and embracing the lives that we have cuz you never know you just never know we will switch gears we go from just this devastating story from 2 weeks ago to 1 week ago Not long after we finished recording this podcast, a helicopter went down outside of the Drexel Hill United Methodist Church. Ma'am, everybody is conscious. I have one. I have one that is not alert. He's a pilot. Okay. He's a male in his late forties. Okay. Is he breathing? He's otherwise. What? Is he breathing still? He is breathing. He is talking. My main concern right now is the two-month-old child. I need an ambulance here right away. All right, I understand, sir. They're already being dispatched on the way out there, okay? okay? Thank you. This was the 911 call that went up just one week ago after this helicopter comes tumbling out of the sky and lands right in front of this church in Drexel Hill. And on board was a two-month-old baby plus the crew, and the pilot, Daniel Moore, has been lauded rightfully as a hero for somehow getting that plane on the ground without hitting the church, without setting anything on fire, and most importantly, everybody gets out alive. And Moore was released from the hospital two days ago, and he gave his first, I guess, statement, if you could call it this, for anything else, after just going through this devastating moment, but he survived, and he's, he has certainly a really great attitude about this whole thing. I'm just feeling fortunate. I had God as my co-pilot that day. We took care of the crew and we landed in his front yard, so that was kind of nice. I remember my uh, flight medic taking a two-month-old baby, handing it off to safety and grabbing the fire extinguisher and putting the fire out and then taking that baby on on an ambulance to finish the mission and get him to the the hospital, which I thought was completely amazing. 
Yeah, seven broken ribs, five broken vertebrae, and a cracked sternum for Daniel Moore, and then multiple live save. Just a remarkable scene, seeing him come out of the hospital and talking about all this from what he could remember over the weekend. I, this guy, he needs to be, whether it's that CNN Heroes Award show, whatever it is, like, whenever that comes around, he must be nominated. I mean, this is incredible. And that, that soundbite, you could not ask for a more fitting soundbite. God is his co-pilot. You landed right on his front lawn in a situation like that. And one last thing before we go here. The Apple AirTag has been in the news lately. Now, for those of you who may not have a lot of Apple products, the AirTag is kind of the small quarter-sized device that kind of helps you find your phone, find your keys. You can just put it on as like a keychain, put it on your bag. You don't want to misplace your bag. It's seemingly very helpful. The problem is, is that there are people who are using this device to track and stalk people. It's just super creepy, and this includes in Lower Providence Township. People should pay attention to the alerts they're getting on their iPhones so that if they do get, you know, something pops up that says there's an AirTag nearby, um, they should uh, respond to that alert, cause the AirTag to start emitting a tone so they can find it and see where it is. That was former FBI agent J.J. Claver. He was speaking with KWW News Radio's Tim Jimenez about the issue of Apple AirTags. That's frightening. And I've always been a little skeptical of the whole, like, Internet of Things. Like, does your microwave really need to be connected to the Internet and Bluetooth? Like, can we just just disconnect just a little? I use the Internet and my phone a lot, but maybe we uh, maybe we want to step it back just a tiny bit after this. It's interesting. If you run a search for AirTag in Google and you click on the news tab, there are stories about this popping up all over the place, not just in (laughs) Montgomery County, but Florida, California, a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model was a victim a few days ago. And there have to be, talking about technology, there's got to be the recordings of the the Apple Brain Trust meeting when they were doing development and R&D on the AirTags. And, like, for anyone who's seen uh, any type of suspense or thriller chase movie where they place these tags underneath the, you know, fender of a car or something, how how could this have not come up in meetings like someone might use this for horrible purposes? Normally, when I see a lot of new Apple stuff, it's like, hey, that's kind of cool. I could find a way to use that. Here's here's the HomePod. Here's here's the new iPhone. Here's the iPad. I took one look at that AirTag, and the first thing that popped in my head is, that ain't going well. Like, that just seems like something that people will use for all the wrong reasons. And unfortunately, there are people out here ruining it for everybody else because they are using it for really nefarious means. We have all these headlines and so much more on our website, kywnewsradio.com. Coming up after this quick break, we'll learn more about exactly what the National Day of Racial Healing means, which we are honoring today, and how it ties with the messages from the Martin Luther King Day of Service. I'm Jay Scott Smith, along with Sabrina Boyd-Serka and Brian Seltzer, and you are listening to The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and yesterday was Martin Luther King Day. Today is the National Day of Racial Healing, which falls every year after MLK Day. Now, how are these two days connected? And how's the city of Philadelphia working toward racial healing and equity here in the year 2022? Well, to talk about that, we welcome in two women who have been working really hard to bring light to these issues. First is KWW's community impact reporter, Raquel Williams. Raquel, welcome back to the rundown. Thank you. 
And secondarily, but of course not secondarily at the same time, we bring in KWW's Antoinette Lee, the creator of Philly Rising. Thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be back, Jay. And these two, along with our good friend Sherrod A. Howard, are also a part of Bridging Philly. The show that was once known as Flashpoint is now Bridging Philly. We'll get to that in a second. But first, Raquel, you're at one of the voter registration drives that was held yesterday as a part of the MLK Day of Service. So where did you go? What was happening? And what was the scene like out there? Yeah, there were about seven drives that were held yesterday, and many of them were held at ShopRites. Uh, this one particular CEO of a ShopRite, I believe his last name is Brown, the Brown ShopRites, he felt that it was necessary that his his customers' voices uh, were heard. So I showed up at the Parkside ShopRite, um, where they had tables set up right in the entrance of the ShopRite, uh, where there were teams of people from various organizations all coming together just to kind of help people register to vote. They're asking people, hey, are you registered to vote? Would you like to register? And also giving them voter education because registration without education, you know, you need a little bit of both um, because therein lies the issues as far as access and things of that nature. It was interesting. People were slowly trickling by asking questions. It was a very non-judgmental, very laid back type of atmosphere. Uh, You had some lawmakers that were there, some representatives that were there. Um, different organizations, like I said before. And um, they were basically just letting people know, hey, the job's not done when you go into the ballot box one time. This is every election day. We got to keep this going and we got to build every election day and keep the momentum going. So that's kind of the mood yesterday. It's a lot like working out. It's not something you can only do one day and think you're good. You have to consistently be in that gym and getting and getting that weight up when it comes to being able to vote. So I totally get That's that. That's crazy that you said that. Councilman Jones said that yesterday. He said, you know, when you go to the gym and you work <laughs> out and then you don't work out, you get atrophy in your muscles. Well, you get voter atrophy if you don't exercise that muscle. So that's crazy that you mentioned that. Voter, a- voter atrophy. That's a new one. <laughs> it's the first time I've heard that. That's a new one. On the rundown, our last episode, we heard from Todd Bernstein, who founded the MLK Day of Service. And voting rights were a big issue this year. They've been a big issue for years, but especially this year. And you mentioned you heard from people who talked about the drive for the fight for and the threats to voting rights, especially looking back on a day that honors a man who fought so hard for the access to the ballot box. Yeah, I spoke with uh, State Senator Vincent Hughes, um, and we were talking about that. Everyone was talking about the fact that, yes, it's MLK Day, Day of Service, but here we are on his day pushing a message that he's he was pushing the most, and that is give us the ballot. And uh, we were just talking about the irony of it. And, you know, I t- asked State Senator Hughes, I said, you know, what would you tell your constituents, because I know there are those that exist that say this, if they tell you, you know, hey, my vote doesn't matter, so I'm not going to go ahead and vote. And here's what he tells them. Your vote must matter because there's other folks spending billions of dollars to try to stop you from voting. So if someone is spending billions of dollars to stop you from voting, it must be important. So that that's the message that was uh, being driven home yesterday. And City Commissioner Omar Sabir pretty much echoed that sentiment and said there's pretty much you know, one way to combat any kind of voter suppression, and that is to actually get out there uh, and vote. And he was talking about voter turnout in the last election. 
In the last election, we had about 21% uh, Philadelphians actually voted, and that was the highest voter turnout since 1997. So we definitely have to do a better job. We have to get into the schools, and we have to be doing the things that we're doing right here, right now. It's so interesting to hear that number, 21% for an election that had that much weight that you're basically leaving to chance. And the legislation that's already making it harder to vote in other parts of the country, it does sound, you would think that we would be doing a lot better. But 20, 21%, highest since 97, how do you think this issue shows up here in Philadelphia as well as in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? Like, what obstacles, I don't think people quite get this, what obstacles are people facing right now to be able to vote? Yeah, I think that, I, I thought when he gave that statistic, I was I was a little shocked. I mean, I know it was an off-year election and there's normally low turnout, but to compare that to the highest being 1997 was just something that I was not expecting to hear Uh, As far as the obstacles go, there are a lot of them. And I think, you know, the fact that these two bills uh, in Washington that everyone knows, well, for the most part, we it doesn't look like it's going to pass. We're talking about the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and um, also the uh, Freedom to Vote Act, um, looking to have those two uh, measures uh, passed uh, in Washington to help with some of the obstacles that are there. We're talking about access. We're talking about IDs. We're talking about, you know, people being scared where there's a language barrier. You know, that can be one of the issues uh, in Philadelphia uh, as well. People scared, not knowing what's going to happen when they go there. If they have the right ID, they don't have a driver's license. Is this going to be good? People being turned away from the ballots in years past, uh, things of that nature. So there, you know, there's a lot of gray lines and these two bills would kind of clear this up, but there's just so much opposition to it. You know, what we have to do and what people have to do is to get around that. And uh, like Councilman Jones was telling me uh, yesterday, we're going to double down. The only way to get past uh, some of these obstacles is to actually push past them and just actually get out there and, and, and vote. And it's about communities helping people. If you know someone who can't get to the ballot themselves, go pick them up. Um, you know, if you know somebody who can't stand out there in line or has to, they need daycare or something where if they get off of work, they have to pick up their kids, go help them out. So it's one of those things where the community has to come together to help each other uh, to kind of get past some of these obstacles until some of these other measures can get passed. And one other note is even for college students, too, because it's also difficult for some college students to be able to get access to vote because they may have an address in one place, but you're physically someplace That's else. True. But that's all ties into this issue with voting rights. And yes, there is a racial component to this, too. And as we mentioned a few minutes ago, today is the National Day of Racial Healing, which is not nearly as well known as Martin Luther King Day. And Antoinette, can you tell us a little bit more about what this day is about? Because I'll be honest with you, this is the first I've heard of it. And apparently it's been around for a few years. Right, Jay. So this is the sixth year for the National Day of Racial Healing. And so it's fairly new and hasn't been around nearly 40 some years, Um, but it is growing every year. And this day was really started as an opportunity to bring people together and inspire action, you know, to create a more just and equitable society. Um, And I want to emphasize the word action here because beyond one day of, of service, which is, you know, MLK Day of Service, and it's great and it's awesome. And we do great things on that day. Um, Racial Day of Healing really has us question, what are we doing those other 364 days out of the year to inspire, you know, a more a a better and more just society? Why did they choose the day after MLK Day? It's, It's kind of got this weird Boxing Day after Christmas feel to it. But what is it about 
the day after Martin Luther King did it, they felt this needed to happen. Right. So I spoke with uh, Lejeune Montgomery Tabron. She's president of the Kellogg Foundation um, and an organizer for this National Day of Racial Healing. And she told me this was really intentional. You know, it was a day. It was a way to leverage some of that momentum from MLK Day. Um, You know, MLK Day has been around for almost 40 years and it gets a lot of attention. And so this was a way to just capitalize on that because the hope is that, you know, people will be inspired and moved by MLK's vision um, and the message to take action. Part of our work and this day of racial healing is a way to show people how to take action. And what we hope is that people, when they listen in, will learn a lot about healing, will learn how to conduct healing conversations, and will actually see the healing is happening in this country. To hear that from her, it gives kind of a hopeful sound to this entire thing. What's happening around Philadelphia? Because we know MLK Day has become a day of service. It's become, there's so many different Things going on yesterday, there were things happening with voting rights and with COVID tests and with vaccinations and all sorts of different events. What does the National Day of Racial Healing look like? So I do have to say, um, for Philly specifically, I think we put so much energy into MLK Day of Service that is kind of a little bit of crickets in, as for our city um, when it comes to National Day of Racial Healing. So maybe in the next couple of years, this will pick up. Um, but there are events that are going on. So, you know, some folks may not know this, but Rutgers University, um, they actually have a uh, what is called a TRHT Center, and that stands for Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation Center. Um, so they're hosting hosting several events over the next few weeks that are dedicated uh, to racial healing, starting with an opening program that'll be going on until um, six today. Uh, it's free and it's open to the public and being streamed live on the Rutgers University website. Um, I'd also like to point out that there's a national virtual event that everyone can access. So it's hosted by Soledad O'Brien and John Legend. Um, you can watch it at 3 p.m. when it airs, or you can catch it on YouTube at a later time. But I think, um, you know, what's best about that event is that it's easily accessible So it's at least one way that people can uh, participate in this day of racial healing with no excuses. These two days are when people across the country focus on issues of race, equity, social justice. But Raquel, you, along with Antoinette, and as we mentioned, also Shara, y'all deal with stories like this all the time. So what are your thoughts about where we stand now as a society and what still needs to be done to kind of help? uplift communities of color. And I'll start with Raquel. I think what we have to continue to do is to educate and to continue to have these conversations. Uh, I I really thought, you know, when in the middle of me covering some of the things on um, uh, the voter registration drives, I I really stopped to say, wow, we're still doing this. We're still, I mean, we're still pushing this. I mean, we're not getting the message. And, you know, it's, it's really about and it kind of feels like you're just beating the drum and beating the drum. But we have to continue to beat that drum and we have to continue to have the conversations. And we actually have to continue to talk and have uncomfortable conversations. Case in point, not about an uncomfortable conversation, but about an entire community coming together of all different backgrounds. You know, the, the community cleanup that took place on the day of service. I thought that was a great example of people from different backgrounds coming into community, doing something and accomplishing it together, realizing that, hey, you know, we all work together, we can get things done. Um, But you have to want to work together. And some of the reasons why people don't want to work together is because they're, they're afraid, because they don't know. 
They don't know each other's cultures or each other's path, you know. So I think more conversation and bring all the issues to the table that that will help bridge some of the gaps. And you mentioned the, the cleanup yesterday. Shout out to your fave trash man who was here yeah. on the rundown with us talking about that on Friday's episode. Antoinette, how about you? Who doesn't love Terrell? I love Terrell, too. <laughs> um, so I used to I had this uh, race relations professor in like undergrad who would always start off his class by saying this. We got some work to do. <laughs> and I think um, simply put, we got a lot of work to do. Um, and I think that, you know, MLK Day of Service is is important because, you know, we're picking up brooms and we're and we're inspired to action and we're making snack packs. You know, those are great things. Um, but I think that, you you know, this day has a lot of a potential. Racial Day of Healing has a lot of potential because um, it really makes us question what are we doing in our individual lives, in our work, in our relationships um, to help us get to a more equitable society. Um, because honestly, if, if you're not helping um, the cause um, in some way, you're probably doing the opposite and, and adding to it, right? Um, so one of my personal mantras is, you know, we make the world a better place by looking at ourselves, but healing ourselves and and seriously being honest about what we're doing and and what we can do better. It's interesting you bring these things up because the show, which was Flashpoint, is now Bridging Philly. It's kind of an evolution from what Flashpoint was, which many of our listeners may be familiar with. So how did Bridging Philly come about? Where did the transition from what we had with Flashpoint go over to to this because it's very interesting how this is kind of turned over. It has a new feel to it. Yeah, it has a new feel. Well, obviously it had to evolve because of a previous host leaving the program. She was fabulous and the program is fabulous and it has a great following. So don't want to mess anything up, but want to build on that. So that's kind of where that came from. So when I came on board and kind of looked around and I, you know, I found that uh, Antoinette Lee and Saturday, Saturday Howard wanted to, to join in and had the same vision as I did. I said, wow, this is kind of just working out. So it really just happened, Jay. I don't know how else to say it. It happened. And then we said, well, let's figure out a new name for the program. Let's relaunch it. It has new, new hosts, a new focus. Everything is fresh. What are we trying to do? What best describes what we're trying to do? And the name Bridging Philly from our producer, Arian Fulcher. She came up with the name. We went through so many crazy names, <laughs> lots of fun names and different names, but this fit like a glove. It was a very, um, you know, organic put together of like black girl magic. Like we was like, wait, <laughs> oh, this is happening. All right. Yes. We're doing this y'all. <laughs> Absolutely. But this thing about Flashpoint, and I don't think people really understood well, what is now Bridging Philly was, it was that type of show that had all that, possibility. I was able to sit in that chair for a little while last summer to kind of help bridge the proverbial gap to get to Bridging Philly. It's just like that. It's a different energy and a different vibe there. And it's great to see that the three of y'all will check that four because I don't want to forget Ariane because she's just incredible. We're able to do what you guys are doing with this. And I know we're also hitting that time of year. We're getting close to game changers as well, since things are certainly changing quickly while I've got y'all here. Tell us a little bit about Game Changers and what that is for KYW News Radio and what that's going to be going forward now with with you, Raquel, and with Antoinette and with Shara. 
Oh boy, game changers. We, it continues on at KYW. Uh, and we are just looking for people who are making a difference in their community, anyone of any background who helped to uplift communities of color are eligible. Um, KYWnewsradio.com slash game changers is where you go to nominate. The last day to nominate nominate is Friday. And um, we'll have some panel, a panel put together and um, 10 people will be honored during Black History Month. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, want to point out, point out that through Philly Rising, we highlight someone every week, right? And so Game Changers is a, an opportunity for these people to get highlighted again, you know? So if you've been a Philly Rising changemaker or you know someone that's in your community making a difference, why not nominate them so that they can get the the um, the due diligence that they deserve? <laughs> right. A little right. bit of the shine that they, they'd been needing out here. Exactly. And by the way, also good mention there, Antoinette, you also do Philly Rising, because I know it also airs during Philadelphia's afternoon news on Friday afternoons, a little after 3.30 when I'm on there. It's so much of just the the good vibes and the people who are doing wonderful things in the city. So between Antoinette and Raquel, what you guys are doing with Bridging Philly, where can people check out Bridging Philly? What time? Where can they find it? The entire thing. Go for it. Bridging Philly airs on Saturday nights at 9.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and, of course, on the podcast page. Thank you so much, Raquel Williams, our community impact reporter here at KYW News Radio. Of course, Antoinette Lee, who hosts Philly Rising and covers all sorts of things here for us here at KYW News Radio. Thank you so much for joining us on today's edition of The Rundown to talk about the National Day of Racial Healing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us, Jack. And The Rundown is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickard. Me, I'm just J. Scott Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at J. Scott Smith. That's real J. Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. And you can hear me every afternoon on KYW News Radio starting at 3 o'clock for Philadelphia's Afternoon News, which, again, on Friday afternoons, you can hear Antoinette on Philly Rising. Be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown PHL and listen for free right here on the Odyssey app or just about wherever you get your podcasts. We want to thank you for checking out this Tuesday edition of The Rundown.